Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, in the previous broadcasts, I spent a lot of time talking about the scriptures that are found in the Old Testament. I've spent eight programs up to this point talking about the law, the law concerning divorce and remarriage, of which there are many laws and there are many things to say about those laws, which is why I've taken a lot of time to talk about those things, because there is a lot that needs to be said. And one of the reasons why there is so much to be said is because there is so much that people don't know. People do not know anything, it seems, about the law that God gave through Moses to the nation of Israel concerning divorce and remarriage. They just simply do not know anything about the subject as it relates to the law of God. They have no idea what God has said about this subject before. All they care about, for the most part, is a few select passages that they have in the New Testament that they can use in order to pass judgment on any situation, in order to either give their approval or their rejection of you as a person, or give approval or rejection of a divorce or a remarriage or whatever. This is what people are concerned about for the most part. They are only concerned about the criteria by which they can be divorced or they can be remarried. And this criteria is normally tied to whoever is in charge. Whoever the leader is, whoever the pastor or the priest is, you simply need their approval. And so there is no reason for you to go into the scriptures yourself in order to figure these things out or determine these things for yourself because you've got the pastor to do that, right? That's what you pay him for. That's his job, and so just simply go to him. Besides, if what you determine is contrary to what he says, contrary to what he believes, well, then what are you going to do? And so make it easy on yourself. Just make it easy and don't look into these things for yourself. But I am telling you that that is not the way to go that you are responsible before your God to look into these things for yourself. You are responsible to determine what God has had to say about these things. I understand that many people would like to trust someone else to do this for them. And I personally have done a tremendous amount of work that you can take advantage of. I, of course, said a lot about this subject, and I'm not done yet. I've got a lot more to say. But do not use what I say as a replacement for you assuming the responsibility that you truly have concerning this subject and be convinced in your own mind. Do this for yourself between you and your God. Now in this program, I'm going to begin to talk about Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5. Now there is a lot to be said. I am not going to be able to say it all in this program. 
So I am going to remind you again of what I have said before, if you have heard the previous programs, that these programs are produced in a specific order. If you have not heard the previous eight programs that I have produced, then you really do need to take the time to listen to those programs. You can listen to them for free through the radio archive at livinggodministries.net. You can find the audio files there. Listen to those files. If you don't have access to those files, you can contact me and I'll send you the CDs. I'll send them to you at my own personal expense. Listen to me very carefully. I am very serious about this subject. You should be too. And so listen to all the programs that I've produced on this subject. If you decided to start with this program, which I suspect some people will probably try to start with this program, if you're listening to this, you need to turn this off and listen to the other programs first because it simply is not going to be in your interest to start in the middle of what I'm talking about because you're going to find it very difficult. I'm going to be making references to things that I assume you already know. And if you don't know, or if you have not resolved certain issues related to the scriptures, then what do you expect to do with what I'm about to tell you? That's what I mean. This program is the continuation of previous programs, and there are programs after this that will be the continuation of this one. It's going to take me a while to get through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, And Matthew chapter 19, it's going to take a while to get through this because there is a lot here. Again, the reason why I will take so much time is not because of what it says, but because of what people think it says. That's why it's going to take so long, because I do have to unwind a lot. So now I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Now this is in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and I have done a series of programs on the subject of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have not heard those programs again, listen to those programs from start to finish because it is a very important subject, just like any subject, but this especially, especially because people refer to it so often. They study it so often. There are so many books that are written about this subject, the Sermon on the Mount. So do listen to those programs. In those programs, I focused on the theme that Jesus was teaching. In this program, I'm going to be talking about something that he wasn't teaching, and then I will explain what he was teaching, which unfortunately is going to be a partial duplication of what I said in the Sermon on the Mount series that I produced I generally try to avoid the duplication of material. I try to avoid that, but in this case, it's going to be necessary for me to duplicate something, and you will hear that soon. If you're already familiar with what I taught when I did teach through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, Jesus said, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now there is of course a lot to be said about this. I'm going to start out by saying that Jesus says that it is acceptable to divorce in the event that there is sexual immorality. He does say in this 
example here in this verse that we have that he acknowledges that a divorce can occur. It can be legitimate. It's something that he will not consider to be sin in the event that sexual immorality was involved. Now, what you have to be careful with is what people tend to do. What people tend to do is they tend to take this and say, okay, in the event that my spouse commits sexual immorality, then I have the right to divorce them, and I will do so if that takes place. Now listen, if you do so, by all means, you can do so according to what we have described right here. You are not going to be condemned because of an action like that. And so don't feel condemned if that takes place. If that's a decision that you make in your life, I don't think that a person should feel condemned as a result of that. But there are other complications that can evolve from this. For example, in earlier programs, I explained that sometimes people are looking for a way out of their marriage. For whatever reason, they want to find some way to get out of their marriage. And if they have this kind of an attitude, they're going to know, they're going to struggle with the fact that they had better have a good reason to get out of this marriage because there are other people who are in their life right now And there are other people who will probably be in their life in the future. And if they don't have an acceptable reason for the divorce that occurred, then they're not going to be looked at very well. They're not going to be considered to be a holy person, a righteous person. And so people will use this as a way out. They will use this as a way to justify a divorce because they can claim that they are a victim. And so what do they do? What they do is they find some way that they can say that their spouse is guilty of adultery. Well, there's an easy way to do that. Just simply look up at verse 28. In verse 28, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can just refer to that verse and say, well, this person, my spouse, may not have actually committed the act physically, but I suspect that they've thought about it. I have a suspicion, and I believe that if I search long enough and hard enough that I will find some evidence to show that this person who I don't want to be married to anymore has lusted after somebody else in their heart. And because of that, I will be fully justified in being able to declare myself to be the victim, and this is my excuse to divorce them and to start a new life in such a way that no one should condemn me at all. This is what people do. And I would like to discourage you from doing that. I would really like to discourage you from doing that, not to justify someone having that kind of an attitude, but to explain to you that there are people in this world, and regardless of who they are, whether you know them or not, everyone struggles with sin. And I am confident that regardless of who you ever have exposure to, whoever this person may be, I am confident in being able to say that this person is a sinner. And if it's not this one, it's going to be another. And so to take this position with another person that they are unholy and you are, I personally believe that that's inappropriate because while you may not have committed adultery, perhaps, 
because you have never lusted after somebody else. Maybe that's true. What about all of the other sin that you've got in your life? It's easy for people to have an attitude of such extreme self-righteousness that they do this to other people, that they treat other people this way, their spouses this way. Whatever happened to two people living a life together, recognizing that this person who you are married to is not perfect, whatever happened to relating to this person, to having this person in your life with that understanding? Whatever happened to that? All of a sudden, we make the assumption that a person has to be like God, manifested in the flesh, and if they're not, then let's divorce him. That's not what our God wants for us. He wants us to live together with an understanding that we are not perfect, that we are not holy, that we do sin. And instead of taking the position, the attitude of, if you commit a sin, I will crush you, How about taking the attitude of, if you are struggling with a sin, maybe there's some way that I can help you deal with the issues that are taking place in your heart in such a way that maybe you can overcome these sins. And when I say that, I don't mean maybe you can give them some incentive by threatening them in some way, such as, you had better stop lusting or I'm going to divorce you for adultery. That doesn't help anybody. How about the reasons why people struggle with those things? Now, again, in taking this attitude, there's no way you're going to replace God in their life. The living God is the only one who will meet the personal needs that an individual has in terms of their need for love and acceptance, their need for honor and respect. You know, these are the issues that usually drive a person to look at someone else because they are in so much pain in the relationship that they are in because they're constantly being told in various ways that they are unloved, they are unaccepted, they are disrespected, things like that. So be aware that, yes, you can contribute to a person pursuing a form of adultery or you can contribute to a person being set free from such. But do not use this empowerment to drive an individual into sin so that you can claim to be the victim and declare victory because now you can divorce them legitimately. That's not what this is about. But unfortunately, I have discovered an enormous number of people who do have this kind of an attitude, which is why I believe it's important to mention. I do. I really believe that it's important to mention this. Now, looking at verse 32, Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Now, what does he say here? He says here that if a woman is divorced, then she can be divorced due to one of two situations. The first situation is perhaps because she committed adultery. He says that if your wife commits adultery, you can divorce her. That is one reason why she would be divorced. But then the other circumstance is that she has not committed adultery and she is divorced. But if he divorces her, he causes her to commit adultery. So what does this say? This says that regardless of whether she committed adultery before she was divorced regardless of whether she did it before or not, she will do it now that she is, because he is going to cause her to commit adultery. So if you weren't an adulteress before, 
Now that your husband has divorced you, now you are. That's what we have here. Now, I want you to know that I do not believe that this is a valid translation. I don't. There is a discrepancy here in this translation that we have in English. Not just this translation that I'm reading from, but all the others that we have at our disposal as well. And so please give me some time in order to expose all of the confusion that exists first, and then I will take away the confusion, and the answer to the confusion will be found by understanding the language that this was originally written in. I will have to come back to this. But before I do this, I'm going to take some time to explain the confusion, because the confusion does exist, and I'm going to fully expose how confused people really are. And this is one example. A woman who is divorced is going to look at this verse, if she studies this carefully, And she will see that no matter what, if she's divorced, she is an adulteress. It doesn't matter if she committed adultery or not, because, of course, if she did, well, then that defines her as an adulteress. But if she didn't, now that her husband has divorced her, she is. Imagine the power of the husband in this case, right? I mean, if this is valid. The power of the husband is enormous. I mean, can you imagine a husband looking at his wife and saying to her, Listen, you had better do what I tell you. You had better straighten up or I'm going to divorce you. Can you imagine a man actually saying that to his wife? This does happen. I don't think it's a good idea at all, but it does happen. He will threaten her and say, Listen, I'm going to divorce you, and if I do, then according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, you will then be an adulteress. I will cause you to be an adulteress. You will be one of those who will be totally defiled before God. And you won't even be able to marry anyone else, because if you do, then you're going to cause them to commit adultery too. That's who you're going to be when I'm done with you. When I kick you out of my house, or when I divorce you, that's what your situation is going to be. And so you had better pay attention to me, your husband. Is that is that what we should be doing? Of course not. That doesn't sound like a healthy marriage to me. Not at all. That to me sounds like a form of slavery. If you try to leave me, you will be punished. That is a form of slavery that women live in. They live in this form of slavery to their husbands, terrified of divorcing them because their husbands will on occasion remind them, Or if they don't remind them, the wife can look into the scriptures herself and read a verse like this and say, My goodness, this is my situation. There is no way that I can possibly leave my husband. There is no way that I can do that. There is no way that I can ever be divorced because if I am divorced for whatever reason that includes any reason except for adultery, then I'm going to be an adulteress. That's what it says right here. I just read it to you. People will use this as a way to abuse women. I believe it's abuse because that's not what it says. But because people do not know what it really says, because they don't know the language that this was originally written in, for the most part, and I'll explain why I say that in just a minute. Because of this, there is a tremendous amount of confusion, and women live in this condition, and they are reminded of it every time They are exposed to someone who claims to be a Christian, who has some significant knowledge concerning the Sermon on the Mount, the New Testament. 
when an individual studies these scriptures extensively, they will have to come to this conclusion when that's what it says. And because of that, a divorced woman will always be looked at as an eternally defiled person in a church. There is no way to avoid it without ignoring Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Unfortunately, there is just simply no way to avoid it except for the explanation that I'm going to give you pretty soon. So have some patience with me. Right now I'm still talking about the confusion that exists. Now again, when a divorced woman shows up in a church, she's going to be seen as an adulteress, regardless of the circumstances, if a person is going to be true to this. And in addition to that, if she marries any man in that church then she will cause him to be guilty of adultery. Do you understand the circumstance here? There is no way that a divorced woman will ever be accepted in Christianity. Under any circumstances, if a person is true to what they see here in the scriptures, there is no chance, the only chance, the only possibility, is if she joins a church that doesn't take the scriptures that seriously. They don't take this that seriously. And of course, there are many churches like that. But will she ever study the scriptures on her own? Will she ever look into the Bible on her own? She probably will up until the point that she reads this, in which case she'll stop reading. She'll just put it aside. Many women just put it aside completely and just hope and pray that one day when they die, God will be merciful. But between now and then, you might as well just forget it. And you know, there are some women who I have met, who I have personally spent some time talking with, who have actually taken the position of, I don't care what God says. I'm going to remarry. I'm going to marry another man. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to live in this adultery that supposedly I'm living in. I don't care. And what happens when they do that? I'll tell you what happens. Eventually, someday, they're going to look at their marriage, at the marriage that they are in, and they're going to see their husband as an adulterer, and that they have caused him to be an adulterer. And they're going to be convicted because of a verse like this to the extent where they might think that they should end the marriage. Or if they want to end the marriage, then they can use this as an excuse and say, well, our marriage was never accepted before God anyway. I'm actually setting you free from the adultery that I have caused you to enter into. They will use this as an excuse to end a marriage that they have entered into. And so how can they truly forge a bond with a man who they are marrying if they were divorced from a previous husband? How will they ever truly forge a bond, a marital bond that you would expect to occur between two people with this hanging over their head for their entire life? How will it take place? Well, I'll tell you, honestly, it is a unique challenge. It is a very serious challenge that women face, and husbands face this challenge also. And sometimes people use this as an excuse to end a marriage that could have actually been built into something that, in my opinion, would be holy and sanctified before our God. It's very disappointing to see people join together in a marriage in such a way that they are not really committed to one another. They are afraid to be committed to one another because of something like this. This is a very real problem that people are facing right now. Now, I personally 
have some issues with verse 32. Not because I don't like what's being said, but because there are some things in verse 32 that, in my opinion, contradict the Mosaic law. This is why I have struggled with this verse personally for many years, because I know the law. And when I read a verse like this that, in my opinion, contradicts the law, I think that this is a problem. This is a struggle. And early in my Christian life, when I read through the New Testament, when I read through the Gospels and I came across this verse and other verses that relate to other subjects, I found this to be a bit of a challenge, that there were some things that I did not understand. I knew that I did not understand what was recorded because I could not imagine that Jesus would contradict the Mosaic Law. And so I decided early on, I decided that if I ran across something that I saw that was, in my opinion, a contradiction with the Mosaic Law, that I would not just throw out the scriptures, I would just simply make a note and recognize that there's something here that I would like to ask God about, that I would like to have further clarification concerning, and that I will be patient, I will wait for him to reveal the answer to my question. And if I die before this answer is revealed, I am not going to let it be a barrier that will prevent me from growing and maturing in my relationship with Christ Jesus because of those things that I do understand. I will grow. I will mature. I can have a relationship with my God because of those things that I do understand. And it should not be stunted in any way because of those things that I do not understand. And so that's how I have functioned throughout my Christian life, as I've just simply recognized those things that I believe are confusing or uncertain or just plain wrong. And I have just simply gone on with my relationship on the basis of what I do know, not on the basis or out of concern because of the things that I do not know. And it took many years before I finally found an answer that I believe is satisfactory. And when I did, I rejoiced that I didn't have to wait until I was physically dead and then stand before the Lord and ask him to explain it then, but that he did show me something right now. And of course, there are many things that I do not know still, but this is something that I feel very confident in talking about. And that is that there are some things here that I see that contradict the Mosaic Law. But the reason why is because this is a bad translation. And I will explain this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,